Good morning. Today's Bible reading is found on page 265 of your Bibles that are in your seats. I think they're brown. I thought they were red. Ruth chapter 3, page 265. One day, Ruth's mother, I'll start again. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. Pretty good. Thanks, Vicky. Good morning again. Uh, keep Ruth chapter 3 open. 
I recall reading an article in the Sydney Morning Herald about this time last year. Um, and the, the author started off the article saying, one of the unexpected gifts of getting older has been letting go of what I feel I should be doing with my life and pursuing what actually brings me joy, fulfillment and calm. And at this point I thought, tell me more. The concrete example they gave for pursuing what actually brought them joy, fulfillment and calm was this. I booked, it was how they would spend New Year's Eve. I booked an afternoon massage, then came home and ordered in my favourite pizza, put on a pair of comfy new pyjamas, listened to some music that uplifted my soul and lit a candle in celebration of the year. And I must admit, at that point, I was a little bit disappointed. I thought we were talking about joy, fulfilment, and a true sense of calm, that thing we all yearn for. And there were two things that disappointed me about this article. One was that, well, that, to begin with, the picture of joy, fulfilment, and calm that they gave was a little bit fun and lighthearted, and maybe that was the point. But I thought to myself, surely that's a little bit shallow and a little bit thin, pizza and a candle. When it comes to joy and fulfilment and that trendy but full of meaning and hope term, calmness, surely we can do much better. That was my first thought. And the second thought I had was, in order to find joy, fulfilment and calm, is the most important thing that I should do is get rid of the word should from my vocabulary. Unshackle myself from any sense of expectation or any sense of uh, responsibility and let go. Is that the plan to find joy and fulfillment? Is that how I do it? I thought to myself as I reflected on that and this passage, I thought to myself, I think we can do much better when it comes to the search for rest. That's the concern of Ruth chapter 3. Have a look at verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home. Or you've got a little note there that says, literally, rest. I must find rest for you. That's the concern of this passage. And I think we can find a higher vision in this book and a better plan than pizza and a candle and a massage and some tunes. Rest is the major theme, one of the major themes of the book of Ruth. And I think we're going to find something here for us today about finding rest. If uh, you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know uh, that we are just crossing the halfway point in a beautiful little gem of a story in the book of Ruth. Uh, it's a story about a mother-in-law, Naomi, her daughter-in-law, uh, Ruth, who have just returned to Israel after 10 years of being away in a foreign country. And those 10 years devastated their lives. Naomi lost her husband. And Naomi lost her two sons, one of whom was married to Ruth. And so they're returning to Israel, to the, the promised land, bitter, empty, and restless. And for widows in the ancient Near East, in their time, um, a husband and a home meant security, meant provision. 
It meant that life was settled for them. It also meant freedom from the fear of anxieties in the future because you knew you'd have someone to look after you and children who'd be able to look after you. And so those very basic needs were met. But it also meant deeper things for them as well. It didn't just mean meeting physical needs. It meant they had spiritual needs met. They had a peace about bigger things in their life. It meant social needs being met. They had a sense of belonging in their life. It meant emotional needs were being met. There was a piece about who they were. They were valued. They were included. They had identity. Do you remember in that first uh, bit of chapter 1, the author begins by talking about Naomi as wife Naomi, and then by the end of those first few verses after she loses her husband and her home and her children, it just calls her the woman because she's lost her identity. That's the opposite of rest. And so finding rest, even for these people in their day, was more about, or less about, just somewhere to lay their head. It was to know who they are. And this is what is represented by a home here and by rest in this chapter. And so today with you, I want to focus in on the question of rest. How do we find rest? But I want us to be thinking about inner rest, Rest when it comes to our character. Rest as, as to when it comes to who we are. Our identity, what we're worth. Whether we like ourselves, the things we think and the way we act. Because I think that's an issue for us of restlessness today. Finding a sense of that inner rest. And we're going we're gonna to discover, we're going to know together what rest requires. Uh, at the end of looking at this chapter together. The first thing that rest requires as we look at Ruth chapter 3 is rest requires taking risks. To find rest in our, li- rest in our life requires taking risks. Uh, have a look at verse 2. They've been back in Israel perhaps, perhaps a month. It's the end of harvest, maybe a little bit more. And Naomi has a plan for Ruth's rest. Verse 2. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Have you ever, just let's pause there for a moment, have you ever winnowed barley? Put your hand up if someone's winnowed barley, all right. It's a, uh, a farming practice that existed up until the late 18th century, so for like 3,000 years since the book of Ruth. Um, basically you get barley, which is a grain like wheat, and in order to remove, uh, to get the grain out, to remove the husk, you put it on a threshing floor and cattle come and they tread out the grain. But then to finally remove the husk from the grain, farmers would come along and put a pitchfork into that grain, that barley, throw it up into the air and the afternoon breeze would gently take the husk away and the heavy stuff would fall to the ground. There you go, go and be farmers. <laughs> Uh, It's actually a beautiful metaphor, I think, of what we're talking about. For seeing into the heart of something, for getting rid of the unnecessary, the unusable, and getting to the thing of substance. What I want us to do today, what this chapter, I think, is asking us to do is to take our character to the threshing floor. How do we find internal rest? How do we find that thing that we need? Verse 3 Wash, put on perfume, Naomi said to Ruth, and get dressed in your best clothes. Significantly, 
Ruth is no longer wearing her clothes of mourning. Her time of grieving her deceased husband is over and she's back on the scene. That's what's happening here. Verse 3, end of, end of verse 3, then go down to the threshing floor. This is where it gets risky. The threshing floor is outside the city walls. It's a place for wild animals, on the one hand. It's also a place for thieves and outcasts. But it's particularly risky for Ruth because the threshing floor was not just a place where barley was winnowed, but it's, it was a place often of prostitution. Realising that men would spend the night in the fields next to piles of grain, prostitutes would go out to them and offer their services. Listen to what Naomi says in the next verse as she continues to describe to Ruth what she should do. Verse 4, When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. If there's been any sense of romance in the scene so far, the scene is now somewhat risque. There are three words in this passage that make it particularly provocative. The first word is uncover, which is often used in the Bible to expose nakedness for illicit sexual relations. The second word is feet, which can refer to genitals. And then finally, the verb to lie down can often be a connotation for sex. And what I want you to remember is Ruth is a Moabite. The women of her nation are known for seducing the men of Israel. That's what they do. The founding son of the Moabites was born of a woman who seduced her own father. It's in Ruth's blood. It's a part of her identity. It's what her family has always done. And it looks like history is repeating itself. It looks like nothing ever changes and that she can't change who she is. Internal restlessness. This is not a particularly safe place to be. It looks like she's putting herself at huge risk of somebody taking advantage of her. In fact, it even looks like she's asking someone to take advantage of her. Now, this is a story, and I wish I could keep you in suspense for a moment, but you need to know nothing of that nature happens. She doesn't do it. So why does she do it? Why does she go down to the threshing floor, put herself in a place of risk of vulnerability like this? I think it's because Ruth knows she has no other options. She knows the depth of her need. She knows her weakness. And she knows it has to be dealt with. This is a picture of vulnerability, of willingness to be vulnerable, of facing fears, of confronting our weaknesses, our sins and our struggles. In order to find rest, in order to be at rest with ourselves, with your character, with who you are, you need to be prepared to take it to the threshing floor. You need to be prepared to go to the dark places in your own life, in your own heart, and wrestle with it and do something about it. And if you don't, you'll never be at rest truly with who you are. Being at rest within yourself requires risk. Let me just give you two examples by what I mean by this, because you might be lost in metaphor at the moment. Let me give you two examples. I have a weakness in my own life, a sin actually, an idol. And that is the need for approval. I want all of you in this room to love me. That's where I gain my sense of who I am from, if you like me. And I know it's a big issue for me and it's made me restless in my life. And I need to be vulnerable about it. 
How do I be vulnerable about it? The first is, over the years, I've, I've noticed it and I've identified it. And I often keep it in my mind when I'm reflecting on a particular situation in my life, a particular relationship. I readily acknowledge it with mentors, supervisors, trusted friends and counsellors when I'm trying to deal with an issue. I'll often say something like, you know what, I think this is a big issue for me. I think it's playing into this thing going on. And if we don't deal with that as a part of this, I'm not sure we'll really see everything for what it is. And I pray about it regularly. I apply the gospel to it. I try to do that. I remember that Jesus loves me. So why does their approval matter so much? That's one way you can be vulnerable about yourself. That's one way to take a risk in order to move towards finding rest. Another example, I remember in in the first few years of Christian ministry, I had the opportunity to sit with a pastor uh, in a conversation he was having with with a church member. It was at a pizza place called Lucio's. It was a great pizza place. It doesn't exist anymore, so you don't have to remember that. But I watched in this moment a shepherd and one of his sheep delicately in a trustworthy environment carefully unpack respectfully and graciously graciously a part of their story. And I couldn't believe the places they went to, the vulnerable places. And at first I didn't understand why there was such willingness to open up and share, but over time I realised it would mean for them in the future they would have a relationship that could bear more, that, that was more resilient, that had more understanding, more security, and was more beneficial than if things just remained at a surface level. Now, I'm not saying you do that with any, anyone and everyone. You have to have a Boaz in your life, someone you can trust. But, but why, why would this person do that? Why, why does Ruth do this? Because she knows how desperate her situation is, and she knows Boaz can be trusted, and because she knows to move towards a place of rest, you've got to deal with the things in your life that need dealing with. And what we feel in this story is it's dangerous to do that. It's uncomfortable, it's hard, it's dark, it's scary. Shame and honour are in the balance. It could really go either way, but it's worth it in the end. It's required for our rest. So she goes down to the threshing floor. She takes a risk in order to move towards her rest. Let's notice what happens, though, uh, in this story. If there's innuendo in the story of illicit sexual activity, Let's look at what's explicit. What's explicit is the opposite. Nothing happens. Boaz and Ruth are shown to be nothing but absolutely honourable in their actions. Have a look at verse 10, how Boaz responds. He responds with prayer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. That's how he treats the situation. And then he says... This kindness is greater than that which you have showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid, he says to her. I'll do all for you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. That's what actually happens in this moment. And it brings me to the second point. Rest requires right living. In order to find rest in your life, you need to... Open yourself up, be willing, be vulnerable. But you also need to 
have right living, be righteous, go about things in the right way. So why is this scene so sexually charged if nothing happens? Because the author wants to make the point that the path to rest is often counterintuitive to us. Remember that article uh, at the beginning? Often we think to find rest, we have to give in to our desires. We have to give in, follow the easy option. I'll be at rest within myself, we say, if I just let myself go. I'll be at rest within myself. I'll be true to who I am if I just follow every instinct and every desire. I'll be at rest within myself when I forget about what I should do and I do whatever I want to do. When I pursue what brings me joy, fulfillment and calm. But right living is is different to that. What I want you to notice in this passage is everyone puts another person first. That's how they find their rest. Everyone puts another person first. Naomi, you remember she was bitter. Now she's turned a corner at the beginning of the chapter. She says, Ruth, I should find some rest for you. Boaz, he's not thinking about himself in this moment. Him redeeming Ruth and Naomi is going to come at a cost to himself. He tells Ruth, I'll do all that you ask. He says that to his servant. And then he sends her home with six measures of barley because he cares about Ruth's mother-in-law. He's not thinking of himself in order to find rest for this family. He's thinking about them. And think about Ruth. How does Ruth find rest? Do you know what she's doing? She's not actually going to look for her husband for herself in this moment. And when, have a look at verse 10, when Boaz says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. He's not talking about a kindness to himself. He's saying, you were kind to Naomi when you came home with her. But now you're being even kinder because you're not finding a husband for yourself, someone who's young, someone who's rich, someone who's good looking. You could have done that. But instead you found someone who can save your whole family, who can be a guardian redeemer for you. In other words, Ruth is not thinking about herself. Ruth is thinking about Naomi and her situation. What self-sacrifice? We think rest is about giving in, but rest is found in giving, full stop. True rest is found in sacrifice, in loving others first, in living honourably. You can imagine if you're the kind of person, we're all a little bit like this sometimes, if you think in order to find rest, I need to have more stuff. You know, I need... You will, all, you will have... That's an endless pursuit, isn't it? There will always be more to obtain. If you're somebody who finds power, that satisfactory thing that you need, there will be always somebody more powerful than you. Rest is not found in more power. Right living is required for rest. It's following Christ's law that gives you rest. When you treat others as you would like to be treated, you'll sleep better. You'll have less regrets in your life. What I've noticed about the Royal Commissions, you know, there is more joy to living a blameless life than there is 
about following what makes you happy in a moment. So a restful life is found in right living. And Ruth and Boaz and even Naomi are an example of that. That's how they move towards finding rest. But the third thing required for rest is redemption. Today we're asking the question, how are you going to find rest in that internal struggle about who you are, about your character? Am I the kind of person that I want to be? How do you find rest? You've got to be vulnerable about your weaknesses. You've got to live right. That will unravel a lot of mess in your life by living right. But truly, the third thing, without which the other two will just be vain pursuits, is redemption. You need redemption in your life. I just want you to put yourself in Ruth's shoes for a moment. And imagine how Ruth felt as a foreigner when Boaz said to her in verse 10, May you be blessed by Israel's God. Imagine how she felt as a Moabite when he said, May you be blessed by Israel's God. Imagine as a widow when Boaz said to her, Imagine how she felt when Boaz said to her as a widow, Do not fear, I will do all that you ask, for you are a noble woman, verse 11, or literally an excellent wife. Imagine how she would have felt. Imagine how Ruth felt when, with her family in poverty, Boaz said to her, verse 13, As long as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And in verse 17, You must not go back empty-handed. Imagine how she felt in those moments. She would have felt relief. It's not up to me anymore to find rest. All attention is coming undone. There's a sense of completion. The end is in sight. Because someone has promised to do for me something I cannot do for myself. To heal a part of me, to do something with me that I can't do for myself. Ultimately, Ruth couldn't help herself. That's why we've got chapter 3. Naomi couldn't help her family situation. That's why she sends out Ruth in search of Boaz. They needed a helping hand, somebody bigger and stronger than them to reach into their situation and to pull them out to redeem them. That's what redemption is all about. Let's have a close look at verse 9. Ruth says to Boaz when he finds her, uh, when she finds him, no, he finds her, I'll get it right. She says to him, I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Like a dropped knee, and the, the offering of a ring in ancient Near Eastern culture to spread the corner of your cloak over somebody was a sign of a marriage proposal. She's extending, it's kind of in reverse, isn't it? Ruth is asking for Boaz's hand in marriage in this moment. And why does she ask him in particular? We've talked about this because he is a guardian redeemer. He is somebody who can help their family. And as a guardian redeemer, we'll talk a little bit about it more next week. But there's two legal practices that a redeemer in ancient Israel can do for a relative. And the first is he can secure a home for her that in her poverty she cannot secure for herself. She can, he can secure a future for her that as a childless widow she has no hope securing for herself. He can turn her situation around. He can redeem her. 
And this is a picture of God's redemption for his people. And this phrase, spread the corner of your cloak over me, your garment over me, is exactly the same phrase the author used last week in Ruth chapter 2, where Boaz said to Ruth, may you be richly rewarded by the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Boaz is answering Ruth's, his own prayer about Ruth. He's redeeming Ruth. And you know what he's doing in that moment? He's actually practicing what the great Redeemer does. He's a little example of what God is to all of us. We need a Redeemer in order to find rest. Because no matter how open we are about our own failures, no matter how much we strive to be good people, there's a poverty and a barrenness about us, about our characters, about a restlessness to us that we, that we will never be able to achieve in our own strength. We will never be the people we desire to be in our own strength. We will never meet the standard God designed for us. Even on our deathbeds, we will have a life, a character. We won't have a life, a character that's faultless, that's blameless, that's without consequences. We'll never make it. Ultimately, we need someone to say it's okay. We need Boaz's words to us. You'll be blessed by the Lord. Don't fear. We need God to say to us, do not fear. I will do all that you ask. We needed God to say to us, as long as I live, I will redeem you. And he did redeem us. On the cross, when Jesus paid the ultimate price to God of our indebtedness to him, Jesus redeemed us. I, I, there's a quote by a theologian called Reinhold Niebuhr, an American theologian that I love, that I think captures our restlessness, our internal restlessness, and how we find rest ultimately. And he says this, he says, Nothing is worth doing can, nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. And no virtuous act is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend, or foe, as it is from our standpoint. Therefore, we must be saved by the final form of love, which is forgiveness. In other words, that restlessness inside you, that you are not good enough, that you can't achieve the things you want to achieve, that, you, that life sometimes doesn't make sense and you don't know what to do, that you can't be the virtuous person you desire to be, those feelings, that restlessness will never go until you find forgiveness. Until someone is willing to say, it's okay, I love you despite your imperfection. I accept you. No matter who you are or what you've done, you're not irredeemable. I've taken all your shame. I've covered it with love and with commitment. I've taken all of your guilt and all of the wrong in your life and I've settled it in the courts. And when you have true rest like that, when you know you're redeemed, when you have a knowledge that God has redeemed your life in the payment of his son on the cross for your sins then you can really begin to be open and vulnerable about who you really are. And when you know how empty you were and how poor you are and how rich he has made you and how, how much it has cost him to redeem you, then you can delight 
in that and honor that and start to live a life that is fitting with his redemption. I just want to read a passage from Ephesians 2 in closing. It says, Remember that at one time you, like Ruth, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. True rest is something that we can't achieve for ourselves. It's only something that can be received. It's found in God's love and his redemption and his willingness to forgive me and you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, redeem us. Show us your love and forgiveness so that we may bring our poverty and our barrenness of heart to you. Lord, redeem us. Lord, help us to know your love, even this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.